everyone, and welcome to the podcast of Power, a She-Ra and the Princesses of Power companion podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Nero. And I'm the other host, Jane. And we apo- I apologize for the brief uh, week break that had to be uh, instated due to some real-life stuff, but we've got a special treat for you. Uh, you got a big double-length episode this week talking about two, count them, two season one episodes. We've got System Failure and Shadow In the Shadows of Mysticor up here on the docket. Yes, it's a double creature feature this week uh, to make up for uh, the slight absence. Indeed. And you also might notice that I have, uh, my, I have a new microphone and I'm in a new room. And so I sound a little bit different, but don't worry, we're all getting used to it, and we'll all get used to it. Yes. Or else. It's, it's, all, it's, it's all for the production quality, you see. It's all for the production quality. It's all for you, the listener, the, the valued listener. Exactly. So for this week, we are going to uh, structure it that we, we just talk about each of the episodes in sequence in the non-spoiler zone, and then in the spoiler zone, we'll just talk about them uh in sequence once more no splitting it up or anything like that just uh just a regular episode but it's double length yes it'll uh it'll be fun and these are some really good episodes i would say oh yeah they're really quality they're they're quality in in different ways too i feel like you know um the uh the drill episode gets really like it's just kind of fun and campy and then mysticore gets a little more like plot heavy it's it's really good it's a nice double feature it's a great double feature and next week we have something to really look forward to but uh well we that's until we ha- we can't talk about princess prom until next week or we'll, we'll no, be here but, all day yeah i i would not be surprised if the princess prom episode ends up the same length or longer than this one so uh be prepared for that there's so much to talk about so much to talk about but there's also lots to talk about here, so why don't we, without any further ado, start on the uh, first episode up on the docket, Season 1, Episode 6, System Failure, which yes. is kind of the last Princess of the Week episode, I would say. Yeah, actually, I guess I guess that is the last one, because then after that we kind of have the whole roster. Um, this is the introductory episode for a very, very good character, a very beloved character. This would be Princess Entrapta. Yes, of one Drill. of my personal favorites. I love Entrapta so much. She's great. She's fantastic. I think one easily one of the most lovable characters out of the whole show. Oh yeah, for sure. She's just like, um, she's a character i feel like who could have very easily been done in a way that was like really kind of grating and maybe a little annoying but like they hit it right out of the park and uh you brought up a really good point that a lot of that is in the voice acting so entrapta is a sort of over enthusiastic tech geek character we've seen a lot of these over the course you know children's animation you got your paradox you got your tuckers from danny fan we got all this sort of stuff Mm -hmm. and you gotta be careful with this because a character like that lives and dies on the voice acting um because entrapta is a very very over the top character she's always speaking at a like her the voice she has makes it so she's usually speaking at a yell but even when she's not she's kind of got this weird 
almost Muppety quality to her voice, I would say. Yeah, a little bit. She's like, she probably, I feel like she breaks her voice twice as much as any other character in the show. And that's like just part of her delivery is that her voice cracks all the time. Yeah, so Entrapped is performed by Christine Woods, um, and she does a fantastic job overall hitting this perfect balance of like enthusiasm and voice cracks and also just keeping it within the realm of like listenability and enjoyability yeah it's like the thing that really gets me about it that i really like and what i think really sells the performance is that it's like her enthusiasm and uh the voice cracking and the like and the shouting and and the loudness they aren't um used in the service of a joke like it's not really like her being loud and enthusiastic is not actually the joke it is like the thing she's doing typically is the joke it's like not her behaving that way which is really nice and it's like um because they don't go that route they don't end up doing it um at times where it feels really weird and like out of place you know she does it when it's like I don't know, it all feels very in character. It doesn't ever feel like she's doing it in a at a time when it's like, okay, well, they're just trying to make like a dumb joke, um, which is, I think, kind of where one of these characters lives and dies. The animation also backs up the performance extremely well. Entrapta is probably the most expressive character in the show because not only does she have the, the facial acting, but she also has her hair which does a lot of stuff on its own. Um, and like she can multitask and hold multiple things and like move around in weird and interesting ways. And so her exuberance and enthusiasm is often portrayed just as much in animation as it is in her voice acting. Yes, she has great body language. She expresses herself so much through just um, just being animated, just very physical, moving around a lot. Um, she's got kind of the, oh, I'm trying to think of what it's called. When you do this, when you talk with your hands. The Italian gene? Yeah, the Italian gene. It's, that has a name and I don't remember what it is. Hold on. I think you'll find that it's the Italian gene. It is the Italian gene. But yeah, in Trapta, she has like the hair. She's also got a very big mouth, um, that she does a lot with her character design is great overall like I, I love the um the the overalls that she has like around her waist the smock that's always stained with some kind of grease oh the yeah welding yeah. mask <laughs> it's a it's, great look it's... it's a really good look and actually i think i remember um i'm pretty sure i remember either seeing um in that tweet thread that was um recapping um, that was recapping the uh, charity stream that Noelle did the other week, um, or it was from something else. But um, somebody talked about how that stain um, on her shirt actually wasn't, like, originally going to be there. Like, that kind of just, like... Like, they added that in later to her design, and I'm glad they did, because it actually, like, works super well. It, like... I feel like it ties a lot of her character themes together that she is just like a hundred percent utilitarian 100 percent of the time she has no she has no business no time for anything remotely 
anything aesthetic, nothing aesthetic. In fact, the closest that she gets to aesthetic is the tiny food thing. Um, but I think she would be fine with tiny food that wasn't aesthetic at all, just so long as it was tiny. Right. And I think there's another aspect of Entrapped as character we should talk about that sort of harkens back to our Perfumer episode, which is that Entrapta is a pr- like a purposefully, and I think pretty well, autistic-coded character. Yes. Um, they talked about this post series i believe one of them one of the many i don't remember what crew member it was but i think someone the the person who was in charge of sort of entrapped his writing was on the spectrum and really wanted to put that sort of work into entrapta and i think it comes through very well and in a like she's not the butt of any jokes and she's not like a weird stereotype she's there's a lot to her that i mean for one she's always she's hyper focused pretty much all the time on her work oh yeah for another she has she is bad at interacting with people um she's she's pretty awkward when it comes to interacting with um glimmer and especially with Bo at the end of the at the end of this episode when he's complimenting her it's very it's very endearing yeah it's very endearing and it's also very relatable it's it's like it's it's a really good portrayal i feel like you know it's it hits on it hits on all the like really relatable key things um but it never feels like um like i was saying earlier it never feels like a joke it never feels like it's being poked fun at like none of the characters ever like talk about entrapta like oh, you know, she's so weird or whatever. Like, they don't do that. They just kind of, you know, they just kind of roll with it. Like, there's not really, right. a, there's not really like, a moment where everyone's just like, oh, this, you know, the weird girl or anything like that. Like, I don't know. It's really nice to, to see that where it's like, you know, it's not immediately, like, either a, you know, funny bit or it's, you know, everyone's kind of weirded out by her. That's not to say Entrapta is not a comic character, because I think she's probably one of the funniest characters in the show. There's a lot of good gags with her at the center of it, but none of it is her, like, weird... Well, some of it is her her particular brand of weirdness, but none of it is, like, mean-spirited is the thing. Exactly. I think it's like she is she is a comic character. She's I wouldn't call her comic relief, but she is a comic character. Um, the difference... And and this is the difference in almost all the jokes in Shira from like a lot of other things is that um, the characters are not themselves the butt of the joke practically ever. I can't think of a time where a character themselves is actually the joke. It's usually just like a very specific thing that they've done or said that is the joke. Like they actually deliver a punchline instead of relying on just like you know the gag of oh this is this character who's wacky you know right it's never that the joke is that oh entrapta is here the joke is that entrapta is like either too enthusiastic about something there's a lot of good stuff in the final season of the show with that which i just adore oh yeah really Um, good but yeah entrapta this is a very strong uh, initial showing for her i think a lot of her aspects are very are very well put and established in this episode her sort of n- willingness to 
push an experiment to maybe past where it should have been pushed for sure. Yeah, you know, maybe just a little bit, just slightly. Her glee uh, at, you know, even sort of dangerous scientific advancement, like her, her, when she, she goes through so many emotions when the robot uprising happens, she's like, oh, well, this is fascinating, but also I'm in danger. Yeah, that seems to be, that's going to be a running theme going forward. Just this very like, oh, this is incredibly fascinating. I am in so much danger right now. Her like bizarre, you know, and let's transition pretty smoothly here. We got to talk about Entrapta's castle because it's weird. Oh my God. Drill castle is the weirdest and honestly one of the most interesting castles um, in the show. Like I really wish we actually got more time um, with Drill Castle because it's just such an interesting location. It's just this like, first off, they built it halfway up a mountain. They, they just didn't go all the way up to the top of it. They're just like, all right, We'll stop about halfway. This is fine. And it's like six houses, and then the rest of it is just the castle. Um, and it is this it's labyrinth. It is, it is a labyrinthian maze of weird hallways. Like, have you if you've ever seen Spy Kids, it's kind <laughs> of like the castle from Spy Kids. It's really funny. Yeah, it's... Entrapta is a princess who doesn't have a runestone. All of her power comes from her uh, vast knowledge and skill with technology. And also her hair. And her hair. Her hair is very powerful. And Drill kind of reflects that because there's no real natural barrier that, say, Selenius or... um, Man, I've already forgotten what Perfuma's kingdom is named. Oh my god, I forgot too. Uh, we like never go back there, so I always I always forget. Yeah, that, yeah. I guess it only appears like one time, huh? Yeah. Um. And like, but they they have natural barriers. Perfumus Kingdom has the Whispering Woods. Selenius has the Sea Gate. Uh, the Kingdom of Snows, which appears later, uh, is just sort of extremely isolated. And Trapta's castle is just set on top of a mountain, and also doesn't seem particularly populated. No. Yeah. There's only like. There, there's like i think we see four i think four individual characters who live five. at the castle five so there's the bakers who are the the sort of main side supporting characters for this uh, episode love the bakers then there's that sil- silhouette that like closes the door when they first enter drill mm-hmm. and then there's the sewer goblin and the sewer got oh i love the sewer goblin <laughs> um the sewer goblin's pretty good. So that's like five people, and I don't know what two of them even do. One of them just seems to be a goblin who lives in the sewer, which I suppose is as honorable of a vocation as any. Yes. I mean, listen, in uh, in Etheria, you, you can be anything you want. You can be a sewer goblin. No one's going to bug you about it. Yeah, but Drill, there's a lot of... It's a very perilous location. There's... A lot of traps, a lot of trap doors, cages, trick rooms. Glimmer and Adora do almost die several times trying to teleport out of a trap. Oh, yeah. Uh, they, almost, they almost get squished by a big gear. Yeah, there's like just big gears around. Like the hallways will get smaller and bigger. It's, it's just 
things around every corner, essentially. I imagine that it is probably not super fun to live and work at Drill Castle. No, I mean, I, the bakers even say as much when they're like, well, these robots she's making are weird, but at least they don't have to deal with that maze to go bring her these little pig confectionaries. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, and Trapta apparently has a diet of exclusively tiny confectionaries and fizzy beverages. Yes, seems like not an ideal diet. Maybe maybe she should look into taking some, like, multivitamins. <laughs> probably needs some supplements with that sort of diet yes um probably so this episode is sort of about separating adora from she-ra in a pretty big way by literally making adora unable to transform into she-ra and also making her a comical drunk for the uh, majority of the episode yes so um the we're introduced to the concept of the first one's data disc which is kind of like the thing that the episode revolves around as it turns out um, when you start messing with uh, technology you don't 100 percent understand every now and again something bad happens and in this case uh, all the robots turn on entrapta and um when of course adora tries to save her from the giant street sweeping robot uh, she gets infected by the the disc thing. So um, not an ideal scenario when you're fighting an army of robots. Thankfully, Entrapta did a really bad job building the robots. Yeah, these robots are pretty crappy, um, all things considered. These robots can be defeated with uh, serving trays, cabinet doors sprays of soda pop rolling pins they they're pretty flimsy all things considered which listen i know that they are just supposed to be for transporting and serving uh tiny cupcakes and glasses of mountain dew code red but even if you're going to make robots for this purpose they need to be a little bit more durable than humans which does not seem to be the case at all. Yeah, does not even a little bit. They're also incredibly flammable for some reason. They are highly flammable, which I guess is normal for robots. I mean, if you're going to fill them with oil. Yeah, like oils and, and gasoline. Um, but yeah, so Adora, this is our, our first appearance of what the fandom has affectionately named Drunk Adora. Oh, we, Which is, we love Drunkadora. Drunkadora is we love, amazing. We love Drunkadora, folks. Uh. Um, it's... There's such... Amy Carrero is so excellent at delivering these lines in that ridiculous voice. Yeah. The, the sort of drawn-out syllables and the slurring is so perfect for these these um, these scenes here. I know it's it's so good it's amazing it's like she gets this perfect because like okay so the thing about Drunkadora right is that Drunkadora comes off less like she's like drunk drunk and more like she's punch drunk which is maybe even funnier right and you know, the other thing that backs this up the the, the animation on Adora in this episode is just simply amazing oh my god yes like the, f the the faces she pulls there's a point where she like 
stretches a little bit when she's doing an exaggerated pose. Yeah, there's one frame. I love this frame so much where she's just like her head's back and she's got her arms up and she looks like a ferret. It's really good. It's fantastic. This entire episode is sort of very much... Uh, it's probably the most off-model episode we've done to date. And I think that's all right. Um, for one, it, because it lets them do a lot of funny stuff with Adora and Glimmer in this episode. And for another, it's just like, it's interesting to see these characters in such a different kind of style than we are normally used to seeing them. Yes, I like, so... So my thing with off-model animation is, like, I am an animator. I went to school to be an animator. Off-model animation is, like, one of those things that I am super, super picky about. I, like, it can be done really poorly in a lot of ways. Um, there's certain contemporaries of the show that do a miserable job of it. Um, Boy, we can all, I think we all remember the... Uh... The, the halcyon days of 2017 when we were all just the uh, all, all I'll say is Peridot and then yeah there. When we the 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 good old days where we were just dunking on on those guys but but yeah so I'm I'm super super picky about it but I actually love it in this episode a lot and I love it when they go off model in this show a lot because it's like it's always um, done um, in these more comedic episodes and it's always done for like a visual gag and uh it works super well like they're not just going off model because they feel like it or because it's like you know like certain specific uh crews may have have said before things like Hmm. oh well you know uh it's okay to just go off model at random because it's no. expressionful or whatever, uh, you know, not naming <laughs> names here, but no, they do it to serve a purpose and it works really, really well. And I love it. And there's so many good faces. I think my favorite, my favorite bit is almost certainly <laughs> right at the beginning of the episode when, uh. um, when Glimmer and Adora are trying to get into Drill Castle and <laughs> Adora's like, all right, it's time to get she rot up and glimmer's face is just like yes i cannot wait to see this girl try and smash a door open her eyes are like bugging out of her head she <laughs> looks so... completely unhinged it's incredible she's so excited to see adora beat the <laughs> out of a door it's amazing it's it's a theme it's a recurring motif glimmer just loves to watch adora beat stuff up listen uh, i think i think i think we've all been there i think we can all agree that one of our favorite things to do is to watch adora beat the out of things (laughs) sure um but because adora is punch drunk and glimmer has to basically babysit her for the entire episode the main thrust of this episode I, i think is is sort of focused on Bo which he hasn't really had a chance to super stand out so far, I think. You know, he's been there, he's been good, but I think this is the episode where we really start to learn what he brings to the team and to the Rebellion in general. And I think there might be a clue on his uh, outfit. Several clues on his outfit. That's true. He's the heart. Yeah, might be the heart. 
it's that might, it be might, the heart. might be part of it um i i actually really love um Bo as the heart of the team and also like just the heart of the rebellion in general like uh he gives a really fun speech uh to the to the baker brigade and like it's it's really good like there's just bubbles like coming up in the background and like the music swells and everyone gets like anime eyes about it it's 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 really really good i i love Bo as like the like the the inspirational force the kind of the glue that holds everyone together like i i love that for him He's the everyman. He's the one who doesn't have a magic sword or can't, you know, teleport at will. He's just a uh, talented and well-known member of the Ethereum Maker community who's out there trying his his best to to free the planet from the tyranny of the Horde. And he does a very good job of it. And he knows that you can do just the same if you just believe in yourself and believe in those around you. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, he's, uh, it's a great showpiece for him because, you know, he also gets to show off all his cool arrows and, you know, he, he makes a sonic arrow and Bo and uh, Glimmer and Adora are just like, well, what are we going to need to use a sonic arrow for if we get lost in a crowd? Yeah, they're just, um, they're making po- fun of his, his little arrows at the beginning and uh, as them. it turns out, um, pretty useful because Bo is good at his job and his job is being an archer <laughs> he's the master archer and he gets to he used to be a little petty with glimmer at the end there where he's like well who who saved the day this time oh, i was it was my silly little sonic era uh, i love i love when bo gets a chance to be petty about stuff because he does not get that chance very often but when he uses it it's really good when he uses it he uses it he makes sure that glimmer knows that he was right and she was wrong yes oh man but yeah, the uh, system failure is, you know, like I said, it's the last of the um, sort of Princess of the Week episodes here, and thus it is not necessarily that meaty. It's a fun, lighthearted episode where we get introduced to a very cool character, but ultimately it's not something that moves too many things forward. The same cannot be said of the following episode here on our docket, in the Shadows of Mysticor, which is yes. a, uh, this is a hell of an episode here. Oh, yes. It is, uh, extremely an episode. So, this episode, uh, as the title might imply, involves the gang traveling to Mysticor, the secret wizard stronghold in the sky where, uh, Glimmer's aunt, Castaspella, holds court and and uh they're going there for just a sort of rest and relaxation time after after this princess recruitment has been going so well yes yeah, but some... of course uh the rest of this episode uh is shadow weaver just being the best at being the worst oh yes this is uh really it is shadow weaver at her shadow weaveriest it is she's in absolute top form for this one shadow weaver is you know we've she's been in the show and it's her powers have been made pretty clear as well as her effect on katra um adora it turns out also has some trauma and baggage involving shadow weaver 
Yeah, it hasn't really been touched on that much yet because like we've kind of gotten the 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 impression that like um while Catra is around, you know, like Shadow Weaver kind of takes everything out on Catra. You know, Adora is kind of the favored child a little bit. Um but in this episode, we actually get kind of a glimpse into what it was like from Adora's end because you know, just because she wasn't the one getting stomped on all the time, that doesn't mean that the incredible, horrible, massive, like, weight of, of, like, expectation and, and all of that kind of thing didn't extremely, extremely mess her up. Shadow Weaver has been preparing Adora for basically her ambitions for Adora's whole life. Yeah. And... You don't really get out of a situation like that without being messed up. As it becomes clear in this episode, Adora simply has no idea how to relax. It just does not come to her at all. Yeah, it's a mood. She, um, you know, when you, when you, for one, you know, she tries to lay out on the beach and, you know, just kind of relax. But of course, she can't sit still at all. She needs to be up and moving which I can certainly relate to a lot. Yeah, it's listen, it's it's hard to sit still. It's uh in at the best of times, um even harder when you feel like somebody's watching you. Right. Before we dive deep here into Shadow Weaver because that will be the majority of the episode for this time. We should hit the setting around this episode. Yes. Uh, which is of course Mysticore. And Mysticore is a really 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 cool place. Yeah, I love the look of Mysticore. I mean, I feel like it's really interesting actually to have um, Drill and Mysticore back to back because really you could not get two different, two more different locations um, next to each other if you tried. Like, I feel like Mysticore has more in common with the Fright Zone than it has with Drill. You have this, like, you know, entirely mechanical, no magic whatsoever, just like simple castle it's not like a grand construction it's like six houses and a big metal box with a tower on it you know by comparison you have mysticore which is a gigantic floating fortress in the clouds with like all of these like weird floating islands and you have to do a leap of faith onto a big rock that floats over there to get there, which is the most wizard move possible. Like, this is why no one likes wizards. I hate wizards so much. <laughs> They're always like this. They're always putting stupid puzzles in the way. Just when I'm... You, you, this is just their commute. This is just how they commute to Mysticore if you're trying to come in for a visit. Yeah. This you don't, is... like... <laughs> They could easily just make a floating barge with magic, but no, you got to jump onto an island um, yeah. in the middle of the clouds that you can't see. Yeah, it's like, oh, yes, make a leap of faith. I hope you didn't miss the platform timing or your <laughs> is grass. You cannot trust a wizard. I implore everyone listening to this podcast, do not trust a wizard. Do not trust your local wizard. Can't trust them. Um, so Mysticore is this episode is interesting because it's about three fourths or it's one third a hot springs slash beach episode um and it's two thirds shadow weaver time yeah because the whole reason they're here is to relax because mysticore has beaches and now you may be asking 
well, how can you have beaches if you're in the sky? The answer apparently is uh, they're just in a sea of clouds. And it owns. It's really good. Like it's fantastic. Purple, purple, sparkly sand, and then little purple clouds that kind of just roll in and out like waves. It's really, really nice. I would love to visit that beach. That'd be a great beach because I don't like. Listen, when I've visited the beach in the past, in theory, the beach is a great place. In practice, it's usually covered in seaweed and sand and crabs, um, and also the sea is just very salty. Yeah. Rough. The thing about the beach is I actually don't like swimming at the beach at all. Um, No, I hate it. Can't stand swimming in the ocean. Love pools cannot stand swimming in the ocean. What I would love is to go to the beach and like you can get the refreshing coolness of the ocean, but you don't actually get that wet. And this this beach, perfect mix of those two things because you just walk into a cloud. It's like a mist. And so not only do they have these cloud beaches, they also apparently have some underground hot springs with magical healing properties. Oh, not just hot springs. Remember, Glimmer makes a very specific point of telling us that it's the Steam Grotto. The Steam Grotto. Oh, again, Glimmer Faces, we could make a podcast entirely just about Glimmer Faces because this show's got them. Glimmer is a fantastic character because, like, so Adora is always, you know, wide-eyed and taking everything in um, or, like, worrying about her responsibilities. Those are her two modes. Um, Bo is is the one who is very friendly. He's always very accommodating. Uh, Glimmer is the one who's done all of this a million times before and just doesn't care and is always super annoyed when people try to stop her from doing the thing she wants to do. <laughs> yeah, she's just like, she's she is completely over magic. She's like, her whole life has been magic and based around magic. And for her, this is just like taking the bus, right? Like, this is the most mundane thing in the world. She's just going over to her aunt's house. Um, right, this is just her aunt's house. This is just her aunt's house. This is her Let's aunt's talk. weird, like, bullshit magic school that she doesn't like to be at, except for the beaches. Let's talk about her aunt for a little bit, because this is also this is the episode where we're introduced to the current head of Mysticor, Castaspella. First of all, great name. Love it. Fantastic name. Fantastic outfit. Love the weird circlet thing. I love the weird circlet. Um, she is played by notable character actor Sandra O. Oh. I think what she's known for right now is that um, show Killing Eve, which I've heard lots of good things about. Oh, nice. I um, didn't know that. Uh, it has a character named Villanelle in it, so it can't be that bad. So, Castaspella is not necessarily a character who you're going to find us talking about how good their arc is or, or anything like that. She's not necessarily someone who is here for you know a lot of character drama or a lot of plot reasons what she is here for is to be the world's i'm not best the world's most aunt the world's most aunt for sure like uh immediately it's it's really good immediately as soon as she shows up it's basically just like oh hey did you did you remember the sweater that i gave you why aren't you wearing the sweater i gave you did you cut your hair recently yeah yeah did you cut your hair (laughs) have you eaten today yeah have you eaten today oh i love when you bring your friends around i love your friends so much it's just like it's really cute i i i love this little 
like these little awkward family interactions like between glimmer and her family it's really fun right because adora and Bo don't really seem to have much of a family and so glimmer is the only one who has this sort of like these relatives she goes to obviously she interacts with her mom a lot but seeing her interact with castispelli here is just a joy because like castispelli even does the thing where glimmer's like oh no no no, we're not here for the tour or anything we just want to go to the hot springs and and she's like oh well, don't let your your mean old aunt get in the way, then I guess. <laughs> yeah, she's so petty about it. It's it's really funny, actually. It's it's so funny. She um she's just a, a very good character to sort of fill out the world, and also she connects with um, Glimmer's dad, King Micah, her her late father, um, obviously, and, and that that is pretty interesting. It is. It is. There there seems to be a decent amount of history there. So she is, for the most part, just kind of there to exposit and do some funny scenes in this episode, um, including one of the best jokes, which involves Adora not knowing what an aunt is and being too afraid to ask. Oh my god. It's literally, I think, maybe my favorite joke in all of season one. is just like, she's, she's just like, wait uh Cassisbella, your brother is is king micah and i was just like uh adora do you know what an aunt is <laughs> and she's just like i was i was hoping so i was hoping somebody would say it Ew. it's so good i love when adora just like obviously is completely out of her depth on something and she just powers through it anyway like as if she can just act her way through it which she can't she's a terrible actor the um, worst actor she cannot act to save her life and it's amazing it's really good yeah I, I just adore how like sad she sounds and she's like no i was just hoping someone would explain it at some point <laughs> it's really good but i think that brings us to sort of the the main meat of this episode and you know a character we have already talked about at length and that we will continue to talk about at length uh, which is Shadow Weaver, who, as is revealed in this episode, has a connection to Mysticor. She used to be Light Spinner, the yes. uh, one of the one of the mages of Mysticor who went down a dark path and uh, was cast out. Yes, cast out for doing some bad, evil magics. Um, which is she is doing all over this episode. This episode is where she really lives up to her name, Shadow Weaver. As yes, her shadow spies just crawl around a mysticor and then do all sorts of sneaky stuff. Yeah, she sure is weaving them shadows. Um, it's also very funny how, like, mysticor just straight up has a statue of, like, their greatest enemy. Just, just in their hall of heroes, essentially. So, like, the way they've dealt with that, instead of removing the statue, they've just, like, put soot on it and, like, did some graffiti. <laughs> it's really funny. Like, I guess they didn't technically know that she joined the Horde, but even so, you gotta take that down. Yeah, even so, we're talking about, like, a massive betrayal, you know, almost, like, did a bunch of really bad things. (laughs) You just don't leave a statue of that kind of person up, but I guess they- I guess those statues are just hard to- wait, what am I talking about? They're wizards. They're- why didn't they just remove- I hate wizards. This is why we hate wizards, everyone. They're capricious and yet lazy at the same time. I just don't get it at all. 
Yeah. Just just remove the statue with your magic powers. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk yeah. about... So Adora and Shadow Weaver here in this episode have... Uh, we, we finally really get to learn what Adora thinks about Shadow Weaver. Because she's not really come up at all previously between her, Bow, and Glimmer. And no, yeah. It turns out she's got some complicated feelings about Shadow Weaver. Yeah, she's got, like... She's got a lot of baggage, and honestly, I would say, all, like, absolutely, for sure, like, some some PTSD going on. In fact, Adora, I would say, out of all the characters in the show, has, like, basically textbook PTSD, which is, like, I think it's handled really well, actually. I think that, like, the way that it kind of expresses itself through, through Adora, like, is really good um like they hit on a lot of the notes um that are like big pretty big struggles with that kind of thing like it's it's not super fun but they do a really good job of kind of capturing the the feeling the constant paranoia the inability to like relax the inability to let your guard down like especially when of course unfortunately shadow weaver is a magical being she can mess with you from anywhere in the world which um Glimmer and Bo don't actually know. Like, she hasn't explained even who Shadow Weaver is at this point to them. So in they, for them, when Adora is freaking out, they're just like, well, you know, listen, don't worry. She can't hurt you. She's not here. She's nowhere near here. You're fine. Um, Adora does not take the time to tell them, oh, yeah, by the way, she is like a warlock. <laughs> It's um, it's unfortunate because like, yeah, they're they're not like oh, you're just being silly, you're being paranoid. Like no, it's like they don't know what Shadow Weaver is or what she's capable of. But Adora very much knows, and you know, as soon as she sees that first shadow spy in the forest, um, she's just constantly on edge for the rest of the episode. Like Adora can't relax in the best of times. When she's dealing with her abusive mother figure, like, stalking her at every turn and just trying to generally ruin her life, uh, she really, really can't relax. No, yeah, for sure. And it's like, and I also really like, and you just touched on that, where it was like, um, they don't take the time to, um, like, call her crazy or say that she's paranoid or anything like that. You know, she like, like, they are trying to be really supportive and helpful even when she ends up um destroying a bunch of like sacred texts or whatever in like the big fancy room they're not even like mad with her they're just like hey listen everything's okay like it's not a big deal um but of course shadow weaver knows what adora thinks that they think of her so like immediately the first thing she does is try and get in Adora's head and is like, your friends hate you, you know? Yeah. Which is is classic, classic uh, maneuver there. Um, It's pretty scummy. She's she's pretty scummy this whole episode, you know, using Katra and Hordak to sort of lure her around and and, and needle her insecurities and then, like, literally posing as Glimmer and Bo to, like, you know make her run away or like keep her away from her friends it's she's she's trying to isolate adora so that she can take back control like yes it becomes incredibly apparent that this is extremely extremely personal to her 
Um, like it was already clear that this is her own personal mission. She's even going against Hordak's wishes doing stuff like this. But now it's like, no, no, no. Adora is like her project. And if yeah. the project fails, she fails. And she doesn't like that very much. So Shadow Weaver in this episode uh, has some really, really cool animation associated with her and her powers. When she fully manifests at the end of the episode in the like lunar chamber, um, she looks really, really neat and has some very good like fluid shadow animation. Yeah, love the animation. Um, and she is, you know, she's full on uh, rule rule alongside me uh, mode. She's full on Darth Vader and Empire here, and she's doing all. The, she's she's playing all the hits. She's she's telling Adora, "You're nothing without me. I'm the only one who understands you." She's touching the cheek. She does. She loves to touch the cheek. What's that she about? Does, she loves to touch the cheek. It's like, it's like it's symbolic of her trying to kind of take control of her like emotional state. It's like that kind of false reassurance, um, manipulation kind of tactic. Yeah, it's Shadow Weaver. So one thing I really found interesting is when Adora is telling, you know, telling Bo and Glimmer about Shadow Weaver. She's she's like, oh well, she taught me how to you know talk and. And read and, and do battle maneuvers and Glimmer sort of sarcastically says, Oh, like mom stuff and, and Adora says, No, commanding officer stuff and then pause it, but then she just say, and mom stuff. Like the the relationship here is very, very personal. And and you know, Shadow Weaver clearly trains most of the cadets, I think, in some way. Like she's a sort of authority figure at the horde. But for Adora and Catcher, it's much, much more intimate than that. Yeah, for sure. There's, there, it is absolutely a parent-child relationship when it comes to the two of them, and like, there's so much bleed through between like central authority figure that is your boss and central authority figure that is your parent, and it just it mixes together into the absolute world's worst soup. It is a gazpacho of terror. It is. And like we even see the so we see the sort of uh first part of that, the authority figure as your boss, even in this episode, because what what Shadow Weaver uses to manipulate Adora is she first uses Catra, but also Hordak, and what Hordak she has Hordak say is like, Oh well, we had such high hopes for you here, but you just didn't you know, you just didn't perform up to snuff, I guess. Like for Adora, Hordak is not necessarily someone she is intent on on personally impressing or someone she is personally connected with he is more an abstract authority that she wanted to sort of live up to yeah but also not just as an authority to live up to but also like this existential consistent background threat this like looming danger that any failure could possibly get her in in Hordak's bad uh bad graces and that is a very bad position to be in at least as the horde tells it and so what we have here at the end of this episode while shadow weaver is uh just continuing her game she's been spending this whole episode stalking and gaslighting adora basically until she finally springs her trap and tries to bring down mysticor um 
And Adora pushes back against that and says, "Like, no, you you don't have any power over me anymore. You're just you're just shadows. I'm stronger than you now." And she literally like dispels Shadow Weaver and and manages to uh, make sure that everything aligns correctly so that Mysticor remains protected. Yeah, a lot of visual theming, a lot of metaphors. It works really well. Like they they picked a good setting for this. And one more thing at the end there, when we're bringing up Adora's uh, PTSD there, is they're at the, at the end of the episode, they're back on the beach, and they're, they, are, they are finally relaxing. And I think Adora like, wakes up with a start and like looks around and, and sees that Bo and Glimmer are still there and then relaxes back again. And I think that's a very, very sweet ending for this episode to have. Yeah, actually, I love that touch so much. Like, that moment actually kind of made me a little emotional like just the you know the threat is gone but like for adora it's always going to be kind of there for her but you know her friends are there to kind of pull her shield back her. you know shield her a bit and like you know she wakes up and she is in full fight uh fight or flight response and she is having a moment and you know glimmer's just like hey it's cool we're here and like she and she touches the back of her head and it's it's really 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 sweet like it is a really sweet moment and i don't know it just it touched me i liked it um i guess one last thing we should hit here is that there is a the briefest bit of catra here in this episode um as 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 basically she just gets put on glorified guard duty by shadow weaver while she's doing her magic stuff yeah. Um, and just it's more reinforcement of like Shadow Weaver uses, uh, you know, she she bullies and um, intimidates Catra into doing what she wants. And once again, Catra's sort of aloof mask slips and she, she shows a, a brief moment of terror. But at the end of the episode, she walks back in and finds Shadow Weaver, you know, dead on the pavement, as it were um the the drill tweet about the the motorcycle has has extremely happened here <laughs> yeah and she says all right well you clearly don't know what you're doing you got to go after the heart and which is our sort of lead in into the next episode and catra so shadow weaver is not actually that good at plans because she is she always takes things super duper personally like everything is she isn't fully invested in all of her protégés, no matter what she would say, and so when one of them goes astray, she takes it hard because their failure is her failure. Yeah. Uh, but Katra doesn't really have that kind of baggage, and so she's much, much better at planning and, mono- and emotional manipulation. Yeah. She's also just, like, straight up, like, smarter, I think, than Shadow Weaver ever could have been. Like, Shadow Weaver has got the manipulation down pretty, pretty down pat, but Catra is actually really tactically minded. Like she has the plotting skills to pay the bills, as it were. Right, Shadow Weaver has sort of accidentally created someone who will not only match her but surpass her in everything she does, except magic, I guess. Yeah. Like she'll never she'll never be magical, but she will one hundred percent best shadow weaver. But that is a conversation to have 
after the break. Well, now, hang on. Before we go to the break, we actually have some questions here this week. Oh, Uh, that's right. I forgot about the questions. You can follow us uh, on Twitter, at Podcast of Power, where uh, every day before we record, we we post, you know, question posts. You can put them on Twitter, or you can put them on Curious Cat. Um, And we've got a couple of questions here. So our first question here, uh, both of them are about Entrapta. I think I'll go ahead and go with the the Curious Cat one first. Anonymous here sent in, not a question so much as a pleasant mental image. Imagine Entrapta listening to jock jams at moderate volume while she's working on a robot or something. Oh, I love that. Let's just imagine that. Everyone imagine that for a minute. Just just let it enter your mind. What kind of jock jams do you think Entrapta listens to? Are there different flavors of jock jams? See... See, okay, so here's the thing for me is I don't I don't listen to jock jam. So Neither what I'm I. imagining in my head is kind of a high school musical style get your head in the game situation. I don't think that's what jock jams are. Jock jams are like the sort of ESP and hype music that you know like da 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 da. Okay, well I think that might be SpongeBob, but Well yeah, but it's an actual song. That's true. Um, that sort of vibe of just like, it's stuff like uh, EMF's Unbelievable or the Village People's YMCA. Just sort of like ah. music to get pumped up to. Um, what would... Uh, I, I think maybe Entrapta is, a, is a, a CNC music factory kind of gal. I could totally see that, yeah. See... It, I I would have thought just very very much like an EDM head but like I could I could see like a CNC music factory like kind of old school a little bit. Right. I also think she's definitely much more of an EDM head um than a jock jam person, but I think jock jams are nice to listen to while you're working on some robots. Yes, uh, exactly. So... It's kind of it's kind of her workout if you think about it. She's working out her brain, her most important muscle. So that'll be it. Thank you, anonymous curious cat user, for that lovely mental image. Now on to the more um, the questiony more question. Questiony question. Uh, Bailey, who designed our logo at Blind Profit on Twitter, asks, "You know how there's that picture of Entrapta with the two robots? Uh, parentheses two robot dads? Question mark." I know that implies she was raised by the robots, but do y'all have any theories on her birth parents? Just a goofy question for laughs. That's a good question. It's actually not something I've thought about very much, I have to say. So one interesting detail about Entrapta that we didn't really talk about is that she is canonically, like, older than everyone else. And you can even sort of see this in her character design. But she's, like, I think they said, like, late 20s as uh, compared to everyone else who's sort of, like, between... High school graduating age in like probably early twenties for everyone else, but she's a little bit older. Yeah, I always I always thought of her as like like twenty eight, right? Like I'm pushing thirty, and so all of the other princesses, of course, have predecessors in the alliance, but we never hear about Entrapta's predecessor. That's true. Yeah. We we don't really see a lot of Entrapta's predecessor. I think part of that is because Entrapta isn't really a runestone princess. She doesn't have, like, a a magical connection, and I don't think she necessarily has, like, a, like, lineage. 
I I kind of feel like Drill is something that Entrapta would have built. Like, that feels to me like, you know, that's her castle. Like, literally, like, she built it. And I I'm think... with you on this. I it fe- It's a lot smaller than most castles and the way it's put and placed. So what I think... here Here's my headcanon here. So, obviously, there is that picture of the young Entrapta with the two robots, which is very good. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like, at a young age, Entrapta was separated from her birth parents somehow but already had a sort of savantness with technology and so just kind of created a facsimile of them at some point like it's it's a it's a it's a cute background gag but it is something you sort of dig into with her because her past more than most of the other princesses is kind of a mystery yeah it's it's kind of it's kind of shrouded from us and i think I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I actually kind of like when there's a little bit of mystery and like mystique to it. We don't need to know about all of these characters' pasts in great detail, um, for sure. And, we, and for the most part, we don't. Like, we never see the previous princesses. We don't really know what happened to them, even. They just all left or, like, I guess died in the war, maybe, but like, they're, We're they just aren't that around. Old. <laughs> yeah, like, they're just not around and there's no real explanation for it and there doesn't really need to be a real explanation for it no yeah and i think that's like it's kind of it's kind of cool actually i uh i i enjoy that and i don't know i guess like to speculate on entrapta's parents i could imagine them being like i don't know some sort of nobility maybe um maybe they like maybe it was one of those situations where like drill castle was maybe at one point like drill manor like this was like their house like their family home and then entrapta just sort of built on it until eventually it was like an actual like mini kingdom like a tiny city state where like a dozen people live i could definitely see something like that it it that feels correct to me yeah, I think that'll do it for questions this week. I'm glad we actually got some. Um, yeah, that's really fun. You should ask us more questions. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them in at Podcast of Power on Twitter or at our Curious Cat, which is linked uh, on our Twitter. Um, we are also on Tumblr, I believe, also at Podcast of Power. Yes, um, indeed. And if you have any queries that must be sent through email... Um, you can find us, uh, that would be potofpower at gmail.com. If perhaps you have some kind of super spoilery question to put in the second half of the show. Yes. Um, but with that, we are for real this time going to go into, uh, into the break. Uh, we will see you on the other side for some very, very fun, uh, Shadow Weaver and Friends Uh, discussions. See y'all on the other side. So, I think we should start this off by talking about a character who was introduced here who 
is, I think, one of the more surprisingly major characters out of this cast, and that is Entrapta. Entrapta has a fascinating arc over the course of this show because she starts here as just another princess, but uh, she eventually gets left behind in the Fright Zone and is presumed dead, but in reality falls in with Scorpia and Catra and forms the sort of dark... Uh, best friend trio the super the super pal uh, trio here and that arc ties her in with hordak and 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 all this other stuff and eventually i think in the final season there she gets upgraded to main cast yes and i i love how they they handle kind of entrapta's whole arc like it's it's really it's really fun seeing her character develop and it's like like it makes perfect sense like she is the true chaotic neutral like like she's maybe the only character that i've seen in fiction that i would describe as like yes that's chaotic neutral you got it hit the nail on the head like she's in it not even just for herself you know like she's not selfish necessarily she's just like she is in it for the science she is in it for the discovery she wants to learn as much as she possibly can about everything um at practically any cost um she like she won't actively try and hurt people but she doesn't really think about the consequences of her actions too much so yeah entrapta one of her i would say one of her larger character flaws is that she just doesn't really think about her consequences especially when they are sort of abstracted like she isn't on the front line she doesn't really see what these bots are doing and and her friends fighting them and so she can kind of ignore it or put it out of her mind or just like not really grapple with it because it's not right here in front of her she can just like you know set it off to the side and even that that extends to all of her experiments everything blows up around her but she keeps at it she keeps trying um and even at the end when adora is trying to convince entrapta not to open the portal or bad things will happen she has to run like a billion tests just to be sure that there's no chance it will succeed yeah Um, and and only then is she like okay well we can't do this yeah she's like that because that's the thing about her right is even even though she is basically like scientific advancement at all costs she isn't reckless at least not completely like she does try very hard to be like to think things through as much as she can you know like she's willing to kind of she's willing to take risks maybe risks that are a little too big for her to take but if you know if she can she can see when the bite is a little bit too big to chew and she will step back like even in this episode specifically um this this introductory episode like when she realizes hey this experiment has failed in a massive massive way that's like putting everyone in danger like she she does actually like stop and be like okay well this was a failure um we need to maybe stop this she actually even at one point she's just like let's just burn it all down burn it to the ground we'll start over yeah i love that moment she's she's just ready to completely torch her place just to stop all this and then start over um she is 
such an interesting character because I guess she spends most of her time as a villain, but I've always struggled ever seeing her as that because she's so nice and personable. And also because like maybe for the audience too, like the consequences of our actions are almost abstracted um, because they aren't always focused on like they aren't all of these bots they're fighting are entrapped as work, but they aren't necessarily like always talking about how it's entrapped as work. Once it's established, they just sort of drop it and it never really comes up again until season five when she sort of has to confront the, her, her consequences for the first time. Um, which I think is a very interesting episode because like there's a lot of tension between her and the other princesses because for one, she hasn't really, she hasn't been around for another. She's been on the enemy's side and they've been fighting all of her, her creations here and like entrapped as in her personal skills are horrible. Like they, she, she has none. They don't exist pretty much. Um, except with, with one exception, of course, that being, uh, Hordak. And that's just sort of because I don't know. I don't know why they just fit together perfectly, but they do. Well, they're both like, I feel like the reason um, Entrapta and Hordak kind of work together as friends is just like, they're both like, essentially they're total recluses. They don't really get along with people that well. They're not really interested in getting along with people. They're kind of wrapped up in their own experimentation and their own like special interests, essentially. And, you know, like they found in each other like this very strong kinship of like, hey, you know, we, we both love old technology and we love building new stuff and inventing things. And like, you know, we, we love robots and, and all that kind of stuff. And I feel like, you know, Hordak, especially, I think the reason Hordak falls into that friendship so like, like he just slots into it so neatly, I think is because um, neither of them have ever actually met anyone as far as we know who you could consider to be, like, an intellectual, like, equal, someone who's on the same footing where you don't have to, like, where you can just talk at length about completely over-technical, like, stuff, and you don't have to explain anything. They can they can add to it. They can contribute to your experiments. They can, you know, give you ideas. You can bounce off of each other, and I think that's, like, a really big thing for them especially because both of them have a lot of difficulty with interpersonal relationships yeah i think you really hit it on the head there it's it also helps that entrapta is unable to be affected by his attempts to intimidate her it just it just flat she just it doesn't work she doesn't she just doesn't register it as anything at all to be worried about yeah like, it, which is great i love that about her you can't intimidate entrapta she is not even that she's seen it all she just is more interested in the discovery than she, she just is doesn't in... care she just doesn't care she's just like oh okay <laughs> um and the 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 sort of one connection she has other than hordak which i think is very interesting is Bo, because Bo is the one who's a big fan of hers in this episode and Bo is the one who who tries to talk her back off of the horde side in the snow episode and Bo is the one who um gives her that that talk on beast islands like you know friendship is hard you you gotta you have to try you can't just fix it like a machine 
Exactly. Um, There's a lot of solidarity in the Ethereum maker community. Because Bo is the exact opposite of Entrapta in a lot of ways when it comes to emotional intelligence. He is extremely emotionally intelligent. We we already talked about how he's the sort of heart, the heart of the rebellion. And that's because he just sort of gets people on a level that a lot of people don't. Yeah, he's... I would I would argue Bo is probably like the most like empathetic character. Like he has the most empathy for everyone else. He has like his first thought like in almost any situation is how other people are doing and how like he can help them, you know? Like he's he is the he's the glue that kind of holds everyone together. And you'll see that later um actually in I don't think the first, I think it might be the second or third Double Trouble episode where Double Trouble is trying to kind of insert themselves into, like, in between um, Adora and Glimmer. Um, and Bo is kind of the thing that keeps both of them from being at each other's throats because he, you know, he slips in and he's just like, hey guys, d- do we want to talk our feelings out? Do we want to kind of investigate this a little bit? And, like, he, he kind of brings everything down. And you see him consistently through the show, like, be the guy who like hey you know i understand uh the emotions that are going on right now we're all gonna we're all gonna sit down and we're have a talk about it like adults and fix the problem and um that is a power that is not to be underestimated that is like maybe the most important thing you can bring to the table in any kind of team activity yeah, especially when the team is so disparate and different. Um, to that point about Bo, always thinking about other people first. I think he has such an interesting episode in season five um, after Glimmer is safe because they they even bring it up like they directly say like, well, he was so focused on trying to rescue you that he never he never got the opportunity to sort through his feelings about what you did, and so there's that episode. Um, episode four of season five where the he and glimmer are just sort of at odds and he's trying to figure out how he feels and what they need to do to get this this friendship back on board and i think it's yeah. a great moment for him because it's one of those times where it shows like no he's you know he's he is emotionally intelligent but he also needs time to process his own emotions um to to sort of think for his own uh well-being for a minute there and i think it's a very it, it's a very important episode to have between like that that season is basically all about catra and adora but bow and glimmer needed to have that opportunity especially after how season four ends to get that moment to grow and like reconnect and understand each other yeah no i agree i agree 100 percent. it's like it's it's a very it's a very interesting and it's a very like touching kind of moment that they have where it's just like I don't think it's the first time. I think there's actually at least one other episode where Bo kind of like takes a step back and kind of prioritizes his own emotions a bit. Um I don't remember which episode I'm thinking of, but I think it might have been a desert episode. We'll have to we'll have to see. But um but it is really nice to actually see him like taking a moment and be like, you know, his own sort of emotional state is just as important and he needs to be supported. Like he needs people to support him too. And he needs, um, 
other people to be willing to take up the like reconciliatory role sometimes like he needs glimmer to reconcile from her end this time you know and i think that like that is um kind of the the culmination of his emotional arc right because like i feel like bo has two arcs a lot of the characters have two arcs but bo's those two arcs are generally like his emotional arc of kind of not necessarily caring only for others at the expense of himself but rather putting himself in kind of a like therapeutic role for most people he kind of he kind of has to behave as this like emotional glue that holds everyone together without himself necessarily being very supported and that kind of culminates here but he has a second arc um and that's his arc as kind of the the linchpin of the rebellion and that and that pays off i think in the scene in season five i think it actually might be the heart part one where he gets on like the big hollow screen okay it might be part two but yeah he gets on the big hollow screen and, and delivers this really big like impressive motivational speech like i think it's the best speech he gives in the show actually um yeah it's super powerful it's super good really well written it like it feels right to the heart of the whole thing it's great and like that scene i feel like that's him at his at his like his peak he has united etheria because you know he's everyone is scared and terrified and they're all defending themselves and you know they're trying their best but like he kind of gives everyone a moment of pause to think and be like okay we need to come together here now we you know this is this is it this is the big moment where we all have to work together and it really rallies the troops as it were and it's it's a really good scene and i just i love the way his arcs kind of come together like that yeah because like the, the the emotional arc sort of wraps up earlier in the season which is something that allows him to fulfill that 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 uh role there as the kind of as the kind of linchpin of the rebellion um Bo, I think, is is you know he's a character who's often slept on. I feel sometimes, uh, especially in his friendship with Adora. I think, but we'll get to that later. Uh, yes, a character well... who is never slept on is Shadow Weaver, and of course, we have to talk about Shadow Weaver a little bit. It's the spoiler zone. Almost every episode, we got to talk about Shadow Weaver because there's just so much. There's so much. Shadow Weaver is a character with so much to talk about because she has her fingers in so many different pies like she's just she has woven herself into the fabric of the world and she is kind of inseparable from most of the cast she influences almost everyone um for better or for worse almost entirely for worse um <laughs> she has a, a relationship uh advisory parental or otherwise with all three of the female leads of this show at some point. Um, but I don't think we need to talk about her in Glimmer or her in Adora or her in Catra for right now. Because we're talking about In the Shadows of Mysticor, I think we should talk about uh, her and Micah, which is, of course, the subject of an entirely separate episode down the line. 
um, one of the best episodes of the show, I think, Light Spinner. But it it is one of the one of the things that ties an aspect of Shadow Weaver together in such a tight way, and that is that the reason Sh- Shadow Weaver conceives failure as like because of the way she manipulates all of these like younger characters into doing her bidding and like sort of seeing her as an authority figure whenever they fail it feels like she fails or rather she feels like she failed um because like the the, she's in a tough position as a horrible manipulative abuser because you can't really do this with a fully grown sorcerer no one's gonna buy what you're selling um so you gotta you gotta rope this thirteen year old kid into your plan to summon a hell demon in the middle of Mysticor to gain powers to fight the horde, but all of that lynches on him not getting scared and running away. Yeah, um, it's kind of a thing. It, you know, she she managed to find the most powerful sorcerer in the world, um, and he happened to be a little kid. So like, you know, she kind of lucked out there. Um, but you know, you kind of she's kind of betting it all here she's like okay well i'm gonna try and teach this kid uh super good magic and then as soon as as soon as he trusts me then we'll we'll move on to the to the dark stuff real quick and you and know of course he she summons a giant eye monster that starts like eating her and he says well this seems bad and runs away um yeah because he's 13 years old yeah it's it and, seems like maybe not ideal and after she's all messed up from that she has the gall to say it's your fault mike if you just stayed in place none of this would have happened yeah and she maintains that she maintains that for the whole show like even at the very end when her and castispella are walking off into the whispering woods together to go find like information on the heart of etheria and the fail safe specifically like you know she still maintains oh yeah well if micah was just strong enough then it all would have worked out and it's like well that doesn't really seem to track there ma'am shadow weaver's uh greatest powers are projecting onto other people because she does that a whole lot and it never ever works yeah she is if nothing else she is very good at projecting she's also very good at just like not taking responsibility for anything ever it's always someone else's fault it's always catcher's fault it's always micah's fault it's always adora's fault yeah it is uh <laughs> she's like... also pretty bad at teaching but i'm not sure we can fully put that on her feet because you know we see her as a as a sorcery instructor she seems pretty good um but it seems like the horde curriculum is a bit limited overall yeah the the horde curriculum seems like they do quite a lot to not teach them anything uh other than fighting which i guess hey if you're going to try and make a bunch of orphans into stormtroopers like i guess that's how you do it that's kind of the only way to do it yeah i guess i guess that's kind of the only way to do it problem is if they ever find out that you know the rest of the world has things like food and parties and family and friendship you know suddenly they're like huh this horde thing doesn't seem like it's that great 
Yeah. Um, the Horde, they teach them how to read and write, which is sensible. I guess you kind of have to do that to be an effective soldier. And they teach them how to fight. And ultimately, that's about it. And I think part of the reason is because obviously the person who designed all of this uh, would probably be Hordak. And Hordak, similarly, has probably never had any joy in his life as a sort of clone cult slave. Yeah, he, um, his experience of things like fun, um, I imagine is pretty limited. I, I don't feel like Hordak has had a lot of fun in his life, especially not aboard the the velvet glove the velvet glove i keep forgetting the name yeah hordak he um he's you know as i think we've talked about before it's slowly revealed that he's just he his his emotional intelligence his and his emotional maturity is about that of a particularly sullen 12 year old um yeah he is kind of a goth tween in an adult's body a little bit and that results in not running a particularly efficient uh, imperial machine, um, and especially not of a, a particularly efficient education system. Because, you know, ultimately you'd probably want a, you know, what's a conditioning system to be a little bit more airtight than it is in uh, in the horde. Because yeah, yeah. It, it all basically depends on. Uh, a sense of fear and paranoia of the princesses and magic in general uh, to keep them from sort of interacting with the rest of the world in a way that isn't shoot, smash, burn. Yeah, exactly. And then it's like, he also kind of skipped military 101. Um, As it turns out, um, armies really need you to feed them properly um if you just give them protein bars they're probably gonna get really sick of you really fast and if you introduce them to things like food um they're probably gonna immediately be like i'm never going back to protein bars again (laughs) so i guess it makes perfect sense that like their orders when they take a rebel town would be to burn it to the ground because by god if they found a sandwich like it would be over a pastry? Can you imagine finding a pastry? That would yeah. Be... This like Kyle happens upon a cupcake, and just like the entire horde unravels. It's it's not sustainable at all. It really isn't. But it's funny because it's exactly what a clone would do. Because all they eat is amniotic fluid anyway. Right. So like, like well, to them, <laughs> I mean, I'm fine with just drink, drinking this nutritional uh, mountain dew juice surely these other soldiers will be fine with this uh sort of uh machine created perfectly balanced protein slurry yes which fun fact i am pretty sure at some point they say is made from bugs i mean they're high in protein i saw Very snowpiercer high in protein I guess that's what the brown ones are made of. I don't know what the gray... They say that the gray ones are better than the brown ones, so I don't know what the gray ones are made of. The... Made out of the secret stuff. Don't ask. Don't ask about it. Um, yeah, Hordak, you know, we, Hordak and Horde Prime. Once we finally meet Horde Prime, it becomes so clear that Hordak is just... 
all that he knows is Horde Prime and is just trying to mirror his empire in a way that is both inefficient and, like, unsustainable. Even yeah. Horde Prime, Even... when he finally gets there, is like, "Oh well, this is a this is a funny little this is a funny little town he's built here. What a what a funny little fortress he's made. How cute!" Yeah, exactly. Like he just kind of thinks it's also very quaint. It's very like, "Oh well, look how cute little brother tried to make a little sandcastle." Like he's so patronizing about it, and it's like. You know, as as unsustainable as Horde Prime's Horde is, yeah, Hordax Horde is like the the afterimage of an afterimage. It's basically like, I mean, almost literally a child's interpretation of an empire. It is, and I think it fits your role because I would argue that the Galactic Horde is actually fairly sustainable. Because, all right, so let's let's run down some steps here. One. What is your what is your uh, available force for military? Oh, it's all clones of yourself who are unthinkingly and unwaveringly loyal to you and only you. No worry about morale. No worry about like anything like that. You've all, you've you've done it. You've got unwavering clones and robots. That's it. That's all he needs. Two, um, if a planet gets uppity. Horde Prime can just vaporize it uh, like it was nothing. Like, Horde Prime is, it has it down because um, he's had a long, long time to perfect his horrible machine. Hordak is 12 and thinks he knows exactly how to do this. Yes, and unfortunately, well, I guess fortunately, uh, yeah, he does not know how to do this. <laughs> and... I think we'll talk a lot more about Hordak in in general as his character arc sort of envelop, uh, unfurls because I think it's a, it's a very interesting one, and I like it a lot. Um, but for now, I think that's about it. Uh, we don't want to spend too much time on Shadow Weaver because she will be coming up uh, basically every episode from now on. I think yes, she's she's going to be a recurring character in our in our fun little spoiler conversations. Um, I look forward to digging more into that meat of like the the parent daughter relationship stuff because that's always a fun one. There's a season two episode that will be quite a spicy one to talk about. I believe oh, that would be indeed. I think that is also Light Spinner with her and Catra, huh? Oh yeah, yeah. No, Light Spinner is definitely a her and Catra episode. That's a man. That episode is good. Ooh, can't um, wait. And next week, we will similarly have a very meaty episode to dig into in a very different way, because next week is, uh, I think, probably the best episode of the show outside of season five. Certainly the episode that convinced a lot of people to pick this show up and stick with it. That would be season one, episode eight, Princess Prom. Yes, I am so excited for Princess Prom. And, uh... Present company included uh, in that statement, by the way, about convincing people to see the show. Because, oh boy, there are some lovely, lovely moments in it. It's a great... It's it's an episode for the gays. Um, more so than almost any other episode of this show. Well, the hard part, too, is pretty for the gays, too. But but yeah, I would say the Princess, Princess Prom is pretty up there on the whole... Um, on the whole gay spectrum and uh 
once again, thank you so much. You guys did a really good job. Knocked it right out of the park with this one. We're going to talk a lot about Princess Prom, um, not only in the context of the episode itself, but it's sort of reverberations. Because let me tell you, if you like parallels, you're going to love this episode. Oh, yeah. We got parallels for days. But that's for next week. Uh, For now, I have been one of your hosts, Nero. And I've been the other host, Jane. And we'll catch you on the other side of Podcast Bondos. How's that for a sign off? Is that one all right? I think that's kind of, I think that's cool. I kind of like that. <laughs>